This is the Bittersweet and Twisted Records podcast with Vince and Bobby. I'm Vince, and Bobby's not here. Um, She is dog-sitting for some friends, but don't worry. This won't be like the uh, podcast I've done by myself before that none of you guys liked or listened to because... Hold on a second. Luke, be quiet. Be quiet, buddy. This isn't going to be like those podcasts at all. Because we have our very first guest host live and on the line. We have my buddy, Kieran. There he is. Um, You've heard me mention him on some previous episodes because he went to London with me when we did the um, interviews for the Andy Sex Gang documentary. Um, It was his idea to do the documentary. Um, yeah, cause I was doing Andy's websites at the time and Karen said, you know, someone should do a documentary on Andy. And I was like, yeah. And you were like, someone should do a document. I was like, oh yeah, us, we should do the documentary. Um, do you remember, had you heard of sex gang before I started blabbing about him? I remember you used to play Medea in the car. Yeah. That's the only reason I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm sure I would have eventually discovered Sex Gang, but yeah, no, I, I learned a month through you. Okay, I was, was wondering, because um, when you lived out in Chicago, you heard all kinds of crazy stuff out there, so I didn't know if he was one of yeah. them or not. Because Wax Tracks was out there, mm-hmm. and all those people used to come and play, and there was actually a radio station at night who used to play some of their live shows. Yeah. So that's how I got into the industrial okay. stuff. Um, all right, so we got a lot of interviews in this episode because last episode we finished up with all the Andy interviews. So now it's just interviews with you know his um, fellow musicians and and friends. And if you if anyone listening if you don't know who Andy is or his band Sex Hang Children, go back and listen to the f- previous three episodes. <laughs> Um, we did on Andy then jump back to this one because otherwise does that make any sense to you at all but um, before we get to the various interviews I just want to talk with um, Karen here about our adventure in London when we were doing these interviews we were there for was it a week a week and a half do you remember feels like 10 days I'm not sure if that's accurate I I know it's because it's been 20 years so uh, ten, ten, day, ten, ten days sounds right because I know we 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 were there for a week. We went at the beginning of a week. It seems like then we were there through a weekend and then came back the next midweek. That's you know it. what I remember? Well, you... I remember that we had to uh, wash our clothes. We <laughs> went to the laundromat. Yeah, and I think the World Cup. <laughs> oh yeah, so we had a hard time finding anybody that was open because you, we could see through the window. But they were watching the World Cup. They yeah. didn't want to open up. <laughs> that's, that's that's shit. They had shit to do. Yeah. Um, I re- so I remember like when you when you had the idea and we we're like, all right, let's do it. And I wrote out all the questions and everything. We were all we all got the camera. We were ready to go because Andy was going to do the um, he was finishing up the Bastard Art album, and they were going to do that um right. that show with Ocean and Hackney, and we wanted to go to that. And we, originally, we were going to stay with one of um, Andy's friends. 
But he, the day of, he got really, really weird. Yes. And I had to call Andy. I mean, we had to leave for like the plane in like three hours. I called Andy in a panic going, I don't want to stay with your friend. He's acting really weird. So he was like, all right. Yeah. He said, hold on, let me call you back. And he called back. He's like, hey, you can stay with my friend Deborah. Deborah from Iowa. Because that's how he always called her, Deborah. Deborah from Iowa. Yeah, but yeah. I think we just—I think she was just—just just call me Debbie. But yeah, um, yeah. and I, I remember—I don't, don't, I don't know if you like it or not, but <laughs> I remember that. Remember, she had that big painting that she had done. It was yeah. on the wall. Yeah, I didn't know she painted that until like uh, we were leaving. Actually, yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. She was really good. Yeah. And she yeah, had, and she really had, good. and that Russian dude that was staying there too, that made. Oh, him, remember him? He he had the um, pinhead uh, tattoo, and he was selling jewelry. Yes, yes, and he wouldn't. Well, anyway. Yeah, he yeah. he he didn't he didn't stay in the room with us. Let's just say. Yeah. No, um, no, I feel a little sorry. Yeah. Remember, I remember one day before we went to do, try to do laundry, I left my towel in the bathroom, and he went and took a shower, and he came back out, and I was like. Fuck! I bet you used my towel, yeah. and it smelled yeah. so bad. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, no. oh. but I, so I remember that. I, okay, let me backtrack a little bit. So we we had um, we each booked our flights to London separately. Like I had a direct flight yeah. from Philly to London. I did you was yours was your way? I know your way back was. London was it Tor- Toronto, Philly? Toronto. I got, yeah, I got stuck in Canada. Yeah, I, I was on the way back. We'll get to that one. But the thing was, on the way there, I left before you, but still, you got there before I did. Yeah, I I don't, I don't know how I that happened. Flight. I think I had a stopover. And no, I, I'm still baffled how you got there before I did. Yeah, it, I think. Yeah, it, it was like a bizarre flight because. I had to go past England into Europe and then back yeah. to, you know, London. And, yeah, somehow I got there first. And, yeah, you got there like a half hour before I did. And I remember when we I got know. there, we were trying to find Debbie's flat, and we finally found it. And um, I remember that first night, she she was working coat check at the George Four um, bar. Yeah. And we were going to go over there and meet Andy. I forget why we didn't go earlier, but we were going in and he was getting ready to leave. And he walked by us and, and Debbie was like, Andy, those are your fr- your American friends right there. Hi. And he was like, oh, yeah. So we we're talking to him. And that was the first time we you know had seen him in person. And I know we discussed this before. The, the, vi- the, the image is still in my mind. We were talking. It was me and Andy on one side of the table and you were on the other side. And that girl with those pink fuzzy boots kept dancing up against you. She kept rubbing up against me, and then like she was working her butt onto my lap. Yeah, she was like <laughs> grinding on you, and you were and you were like, Will "You just please stop." You're like, you're like, you're like, you're like, you said, "Will you please stop?" I'm trying to hear what he's saying, and I just remember Andy and I were just looking across the table. You were like, "Get that!" But and you know. Andy has a, I mean, everyone in Britain has a pretty heavy accent when they're talk, talking in their, you know, mm-hmm. natively, right? Not for us. And yeah. I was having a hard time 
trying to understand what Andy was saying. Oh, well, I had to it, pay attention. To yeah, and it was a bar too, you know. Very loud in that bar. You know, a bunch of, with a bunch of drunk people in the evening, so. But um, and I and I remember um, every morning when we would leave Debbie's and go down to the tube station, you know, to go off different parts to interview different people, and we would come back and there would always be those dudes out in the square in front of the movie theater trying to sell us weed. Yeah, every day. They're always like, hey, and then try to. And then at night it'd be the prostitutes; they would be out. Yeah. So, I mean, did they did they work out their schedule where like they were like the guys were like, "We'll take the early afternoons, you ladies, and take the evenings." There's some unwritten kind of understanding between them, so there's no you know, there's no violence. That happens <laughs> yeah. When you're well, yeah. That was I remember at the movie theater we saw the um, Biggie and Tupac Tupac documentary. Yeah. I, remember, yeah, I, feel I, forgot like, about it. I feel like we saw another movie too, but I can't remember what it was. Was that the Orion Theater? I can't remember the name of the theater. I just remember it was in the square right yeah. down right down from the tube. From well, um, they showed a lot of indie stuff. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, because it was not that far down from um the Brixton Academy. Right. Um yeah. see Oh I in that one time we I forget who we went to interview. And we were on the tube, and they stopped because there was a fire up ahead, mm-hmm. and they made everyone get out. And I remember yeah. we went up to like the um, I don't know, ticket taker or where you pay or the booth, whatever. And mm-hmm. you were like, and you were like, is the fire between here and the next stop, or is it a stop up? You know, because we were trying to figure out how to get back to Debbie's. And she kept saying, "I don't know, I don't know." Every question, and you finally snapped. You went, "What do you know?" And I remember. Then we were. Then we figured. I think we finally got it figured out, and then we just jumped on the back of a bus without paying. Yeah. Well, I, I am still amazed we got off in the right area. I know. You know, because every time the bus announced something, it. I don't. I. I don't know. It didn't even sound like English. <laughs> it's amazing we didn't get lost. We got lost one time in Camden Town. Yeah. That's Impressive. all. It's the only time we got lost because we had it, people listening. Got to remember, this was two thousand two. You know, it yeah, wasn't this easy. Before you just hop on a phone and look on yeah. Google. You had to like have like either have either have printed out your directions ahead of time, or written yeah. down what someone told you, which we did a lot of that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot of writing. I still have some of the notes too, in a, in a box. <laughs> Like I have uh, some of the notes that Debbie left for us. Remember, yeah. cause I remember we were trying to um, meet up with Cam Campbell, and it just mm-hmm. didn't it didn't work out because he had something he had to go to Japan for. Yeah. And um, something else, another story I wanted to tell. Um, John complete blank because it was it was crazy. Um, oh, when we were at um, the night the Sex and Children show at Ocean, and we were backstage, you know, doing some yeah. of the interviews, and Patricia Morrison was back uh-huh. there. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah. I, mean, I was staring straight at her. Yeah, and I'm like, you're familiar. Yeah, yeah. We were like, you, you're looking, you look familiar. And um, Andy, I really regret that now. I know. I really wish we had asked her for an interview or at least taken pictures with her. And, I know. and if anyone listening don't know who doesn't know who Patricia Morrison is, uh, she's a bass player. Played with Gun Club, Fur Bible, Sisters of Mercy, and The Damned. And she's currently Mrs. Dave Vanian. And um, yeah, 
And so Andy's manager at the time, Tim, who I think played bass in the band Chelsea at one point. Um, I think. I might be remembering that completely wrong, but it was some old punk band he played in. Um, but he was like, he was like, oh, hey, guys, this is Patricia. And we were like, oh, shit. And she was really nice, but I just, I really wish we got a picture or did something, you know. Yeah, right at that moment before we, yeah. Before we were, but we, you know, I, I was thinking about this earlier today. We were so dead set on getting all of our interviews. It's like. Yeah, I, we were very. Very dedicated. I kind of wish we loosened yeah. up a bit and enjoyed the trip more instead of just constantly. All we do is schedule and plan. And it's like, we should have just enjoyed it. Oh, I did get drunk. A little bit. But. Oh yeah. Oh, was that the um? Which was that the um the one on top of the funeral home? I think so. At yeah. the the flat where the girls from um medieval B- babes lived. Medieval babes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. funny. We didn't even know who they were at first. I know. Until I saw that album plaque in the bathroom that they'd sold you know X amount of copies of that album, and I was looking at the uh-huh. looking at the album cover. I was like, wait. Yeah, and I was looking at the album cover. I was like, "Those are interesting outfits." I was like, "Wait a minute! A couple of those girls are in the yeah. other room." Yeah. But um, yeah, they were, they, it was it was a good time. Um, I, there's so many things yeah. to talk about, but um, I remember. And then like when we got all the interviews done, and we we're on our way back because your flight left yeah. before mine, and you yeah. were like, and you're like, "Oh, you're like, you know, I'll make, you know, I'll already be there, and you know, I'll wait for you, and we'll go home." And so. Yeah. And so I get I get there, and you know I'm waiting where you know we agreed to meet, and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm like, I'm like what is what's going on? So I finally called your house, and your dad you know picked up and it's not, and your dad was like, yeah he got stuck in Canada, <laughs> and your dad came and got me. Yeah, yeah, because I'm stuck in Canada. Was was now? What was it? Did you miss your connect in flight, or was it delayed? I can't remember. No, no. Like it's a combination of like a lot of stupid things. Like <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember exactly what happened, and uh, yeah, I think I I just made a, like a stupid mistake, and I ended mm. up going to the wrong place and the wrong thing, and like, and but here's the thing: I I specifically asked like where I should go and what I should do and yeah. they sent me to the wrong place oh god yeah I'd only, I had only like an hour to connect and by then I couldn't get back yeah you know I just like I missed the flight so <laughs> I had to wait till the next day for the next uh, one. Oh man so stupid <laughs> yeah. oh my god it's hard to believe that was 20 years ago yeah I know I mean I we, know. Yeah, we, we thought things were going to turn out so different than they have you know <sighs> We thought I think it's like everybody. But, <laughs> yeah, have all but, ideas but you know, like, yeah. we're like, well, we'll make this documentary, and then people will take notice, and they didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know. You know, and uh, you know, and then you know, we did get a final version of it together, and it got some screenings and whatnot, and then uh, yeah. you know, a couple years ago, Andy asked me to um, take it down. You know, from streaming sites, and I mean, he had his reasons. You know, you know, explained it. It made sense. You know, uh-huh. but I mean, and there was, you know, his reason there being another reason. But I'm not going to go into either of them. But you know, it was it was an interesting experience. We learned how to do stuff and got the yeah, trap. I mean, that's what I always say. Like, it's never a bad thing 
to try and do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it's not, it, you always get something from it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it didn't lead to anything for us or make any money or, or anything, but we know how to make a movie for, yeah. for no money. Yeah, right. And, and, and you know, you, and it does help a little bit doing other stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I did that, and that's under your belt, and, you know, I'm, yeah, you should be proud. I mean, I still use, like, the the stuff I learned doing all the sound editing, I still use that when I do the podcast now, so. Right, exactly. So it wasn't a complete waste. I mean, sometimes I do sit and watch the documentary, and, like, there's parts yeah. I'm like, it's really good there, and other parts I'm like, ah, I kind of wish I'd done that differently, or I, I wish we'd asked this or that, you know, but. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Um, so, let's go over the various people from the interviews in this episode of the podcast, which is the final part of the Andy Sesgang interviews. First person we have is guitarist Adrian Portis, who, um, Oh, Adrian. Adrian. Adrian is a talented dude. You know, you know, he started, he was playing guitar for Andy on and off from like, I think, I think it was in 89 or 90. He came in the band. I can't remember somewhere around there. And he stayed till like, I don't know what, eight years ago or so. He was on and off for all that time. And he also yeah. had these other bands, um, Dollface, who are really good. He had, yeah, uh, I hunted that album down after we met him. Yeah, I wish I, I wish I kept my Dollface stuff. And then he was supposed to have sent us his um, at the time he had a new band called War Machines of Love. He was supposed oh, to, have, he was yeah. supposed to have sent us the CDs, and he never did. So I've never found a copy of it. Meaning, I know much. it sucks. It was like, um, but we entered because at the time he had um a weekend job at a museum. And we went up there during, I think it was during his lunch break to interview him. Yeah, was it in a, like, were we in a food court or something? I it, it was, remember. It was. It was like upstairs in the museum when it was like a food court or above the food court. It might have been a lounge above yeah, the food court. But. Yeah, it was pretty busy. Though. Yeah. Like, we were having a hard time. Yeah, there was a lot of background noise in the interview, but you know, it's, it's yeah, when, that's when we could get him. So, you know, we had to make do. But he, he's, a, <laughs> he's a nice dude. And, um. And I ran into uh, oh, ten, about ten years ago. Well, now he plays if um in a theater of hate and Spirit Destiny. And about ten years ago, when Gene Love Jezebel and Spirit Destiny played in Philly, kind of might have been twelve years ago. Um, I talked to him there, and then um in twenty nineteen when we saw um Theater of Hate with Chameleons Vox in Baltimore, we kept trying to talk to him, but all these dudes kept getting in the way, getting him to sign records and like army uh, new model yeah. army stuff. I don't want to say hi to him because it's been so long since we'd seen him, but we didn't get to say hi. Oh, man. But we you talked. Know when we met him? Hmm? What was that? When we met him, I had to, like, I had to remember not to, like, we're here to talk about sex game children and not New Model Army. Yeah. <laughs> he was on those, I think he was on those two EPs. Yeah, yeah, they were EPs. I think he was on those two EPs when we were in high school. Yeah, I, I, I and so it's just that's like. That's why I knew him. Yeah. <laughs> Do a test. Can you say something? Hello, one, two, testing. Thank you. No problem. Um, I met him in about, I think it was 1989. Um, I answered an ad in a music paper over here because he needed a guitar player. And um, came down, 
met him. He was the the Ben at the time was Cam Campbell and Neil Mackey, um, and uh, you know we went in a rehearsal room, played a bit of music, and, and there on in it was. Uh, I mean, I, I knew who Sex Gang were at the time. I was I was familiar with the stuff, and I liked the stuff anyway. Um, but it worked really well. You know, we got on pretty well and everything. So yeah, it was good. Mm -hmm. Played on Medea. That's right, yeah. And, uh, how, how was that? Um, to be honest, it was, it was quite an easy session. Um, there was, it was kind of a, a, the bulk of, of the album was done with just me and Andy, and then we had a few people. Kevin came in and, and did a little bit of stuff. Dave Roberts came in and did, did a bit of stuff on there as well. Um, but most of the time, it was me and Andy working. Uh, there was a violin player came in play. Adelaine Johnson played on it as well. We had people popping in the studio half the time, but um, most of the time it was me and Andy. And there were a few fraught moments. There always is, but um, it went quite smoothly. Um, but when we, it, it was kind of a strange album because it, it it kind of got almost completed over here. Then Andy moved to the States and I believe finished it off in Los Angeles. So it's, it's almost like two sessions. So it's kind of like half the album is kind of the session I did with him. And then there's a few tracks on there, like in fact the track Medea was something that was done in the States without me. But um, you know, but it's some great, I mean I really loved, when I first met him I really loved, that was the album he was working on. And you know, he played me Arco Valley, which is the one with Mick Ronson. And um, I thought it was great, and I was really into, you know, being in the band. Um, but then he played me the stuff he was working on, and I thought, you know, songs like Arms of Cicero and Shattered Room and things like that, Guy Wonder, and I just thought that was superb, and I really want to be in this band, you know. And, um, yeah, I was happy. I mean, I, you know, to a certain extent, I think I would have probably liked to have completed the album over here, you know, but um, it's a great album. I don't think it quite ended up the way I would have hoped on some tracks, but yeah, on the whole, it's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with it. How about uh, Western Songs for Children? Mm -hmm. You performed on Western Songs for Children? No, no, no wasn't on that one. Nope, <laughs> not me. Medea's pretty much it. There's, uh, there's been one or two other things, but Medea was, was the main one. Um, I, well, just live stuff, really. I mean, yeah, I, I'm trying to think as I'm talking, really, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I seem to have done so many things over the years with Andy that it's difficult to remember exactly what I did or what I didn't, but the, the, the only album that I played a major part in was Medea, really. Um, you said you had heard of Setting Children prior to... Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think of the span of this career? It's the 20th anniversary now. What do you attribute its success? Uh, <laughs> there, well, yeah, there, I mean, there are a lot of things, really. I mean, I think, really, I mean, the validity of it is the fact that, that it, it changes over the years, but yet still retains that sex gang element. And every album is very different, which I, I, I really appreciate. I mean, Andy goes through periods of of wanting to move the music in, in a certain direction, but his writing just comes natural, but he's like, he's kind of like the ultimate sponge for anything that's going, you know, which is like, there's so many eclectic 
influences on everything he does, whether it be, you know, some ancient Greek bloke <laughs> or, um, you know, some band or whatever, you know, the, and he just keeps it all fresh, you know. I think also to a certain extent the fact that there have been a lot of lineup changes, but yet people join this band because they want to contribute to that rather than for any other reason. All the, if I think back to all the people who've actually played with Andy, um, they're all extremely good musicians and, and Andy's very insistent on the attitude being right from people above the musicianship. What he wants to do is like find people who understand the correct ethos of Sex Gang before they come into the band. So, and I think that really does add to everything because then he finds people who, who get it and then, you know, you end up with, with the right ingredients. And, uh, you know, there's been different lineups and, and different sounds to Sex Gang, but, you know, on the whole, it's still got that central core, but yet there's so many directions it's taken that it's always valid. And every album is valid and different to any other one. Yeah, okay. Thank you. We interviewed Carl Magnuson, who was playing bass with Sex Gang when we did these interviews. And Carl was dating Rachel from Medieval Babes at the time. And, um,. So Carl played on the Bastard Art album, and I think he did some of the bass tracks on the um, Viva Vigilante album, I think. I know Cam Campbell played on that album, too. Um, I don't know how many years ago it was, maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago, Carl and Rachel moved back to Carl's native Sweden and got married, and I think they have a kid or two. And, oh, I did not know that. Yeah, and Carl has a, he, well, he used to have a side project called Ten Penny Showman that was pretty cool. I don't know if he still does anything under that name or not. Sofia, could you go? Can you turn handles down from fishing? Uh, first questions. How, how did you meet Andy? Uh, I met Andy. Um, uh, I think it was uh, maybe a year ago, maybe a bit more, um, through uh, Martin, the violin player. And he, um, uh, Martin, and I were friends back in Stockholm, in Sweden. And uh, uh, we were sort of like in a music music circle. Uh, so I knew Martin from 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 uh, Stockholm, and uh, Martin was uh, of course playing with Andy uh, like a year or so before I even met Andy. And um, so Andy uh, got to know about my own band, uh, DC Molina. <laughs> Uh, so he came to check us out uh, at a gig maybe a year ago, something like that. And I think he was looking for, for musicians or whatever to, to work with. And he liked us. Um, so he invited us to start working with him. So that's what we did. We, we did the album that is going to be released in a month's time or something. And... Um, yeah, it's gone very well. I, I think uh, we share 
a very uh, special musical ground. And um, did, had you had you heard already of Sex Game Children? Were you aware, or was this completely new to you? The only thing I knew about Sex Game Children was uh, that my friend Martin was playing with this goth band called Sex Game Children. I thought it was a very very strange but very good name. Uh, but that's all I knew. I, I only I had never heard the music or anything like that. But once I got introduced to it, uh, I uh, absolutely loved it, and I think it is very, 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 very special. Is it different from what you were doing earlier? I, you had said you, know, you were on the same ground. But, uh, uh, I think we share a lot of common ground, but okay. um, uh, I think uh, um, my own band and the music that my own band is doing is more uh, uh, more straight. Not necessarily less arty for that, but uh, but uh, there's a lot of uh, very original quirkiness going on in Sex Gang children's music, uh, and uh, I think that the band, I'm my own band, is more a little bit more straight. Okay. So you describe yours is a little more accessible to the mainstream, while Andy's would be more. I would say that Sex Gang is forever doomed to be a cult thing while uh, this Molina could if it if it had a chance be uh, commercially bigger so you're still doing both yeah yeah and actually we've actually recruited uh, Kevin as well as a drummer so half of the band is another band as well and um, this is the 20th year of Gang, and I know you've you know just recently uh, come into the Sort of, I guess you call family, you know, but uh, are you seeing this sort of history or a legacy of uh, uh, the music coming forth when you play gigs or so forth? Well, what is important, of course, is um, that uh, it's been going on for such a long time and it has got such a status among the fans uh, that uh, if you do gigs, I mean, it's it's good and bad, I suppose, but people will love you, whatever you do. I mean, if Andy shows his face on that stage, they're going to love him. Right. Uh, and uh, the risk, of course, is that uh, that you could get lazy, you know, and you could just uh, take for granted that you are loved, whatever you do. But uh, I don't think that we've been lazy at all with this latest things that we've, we've been doing. I think uh, it's very, very ambitious musically. But uh, most people, when they've been going on for a long time, uh, get a bit lazy. But Andy does not get lazy at all. I think, I mean, I don't know exactly how he worked back in the days. But uh, I cannot see how he could be more true and intense and uh, focused on uh, the creation of the art that we are doing. And uh, do you have any interesting stories during uh, the evolution of this latest piece? No, I mean, I, I've been only involved for a short time. So uh, were I you mean, involved from the beginning of uh, Bastard, Bastard Art? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, the fact of the matter is that um, uh, Bastard Art has been a, a uh, 
my impression is that Bastard Art is a um, very much a a, a, a Dem uh, dem not democratic, but um, we've, we've been we've we've uh, developed Bastard Art together. Uh, it's it's uh, it's been uh, lots of views and and cross cross things going on. So does that cause? It's not causing a conflict, though, right? No, I mean you know sometimes one thinks something and some sometimes another one thinks something else. But at the end of the day, it's Andy's band, you know. Okay. And and uh, but. Uh, Everybody we we, we share such common ground that it doesn't really become a problem. Okay, thank you. And then in the US, we interviewed Anesh, who's famous for KMFDM and Slick Idiot. Um, he was very nice, and you know, and Andy used to go to Germany all the time, and he used to hang out with um, Anesh and Mona Muir and a bunch of people. So when Anesh was coming to the U.S. to do a tour, was it a solo tour or was it a Slick Idiot tour? I can't remember. It was Slick Idiot because uh, he was with... Um, Gunter Schultz, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember who else was in the band. I just remember it was those two. But yeah, originally they were going to play somewhere yeah. in Philly, but the, it got... Something happened with the venue, so one of the yeah, dudes. It, it was in that um that motorcycle shop because it was the, the I think oh. one of the dudes in the opening bands dad owned it or something. Oh, is that what it was? You know, something oh, like that. So they because there was like there was a couple local local openers, and they played. Oh. And um, I remember we interviewed on Ash, but we had a bunch of tech problems. The mini yeah. disc didn't work. I over. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I mean, as nice as he was, the interview session was a mess. You, know, you, yeah. you kicked over his beer. The mini disc we were using didn't, wasn't working right. It's the interview ended up being all distorted, and the video. When I shot the video, it the audio on that was all screwy. So what we're gonna hear here on the podcast is what I was able to salvage from our interview session with him. But um, you know what I was really struck about with him was his kind of understanding of music history. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I, I was really, like, I, I mean, obviously he was there for a yeah. lot of stuff, but, but his, his understanding of what, like, what everybody was doing and how, how it related to each other, yeah. like, yeah, that really struck me. Elena um, uh, Lovich, is that yeah. her name? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Lena Lovich. Yeah, I was trying to picture in my head. I'm going through Ellie's image. Okay, it's a Okay. Start over. Take two. <laughs> All right. Um, Andy Sex uh, Gang. Nice fellow. First time I met him in Prague, Czech Republic, playing with Monamour. Monamour and Amesh uh, played at. Uh, Drop that <laughs> at some festival in Prague. Um, he was backstage, and Lena Lovich was there. And I remember we had this discussion between Lena Lovich and Andy and myself about politics, the U.S., and this and that. And 
you know, I, I, remember, I remember he was saying like, yeah, I want to get out of the UK, it's so expensive in London, blah, blah, blah. And we would discuss whether it's better to go to Prague or to Berlin. You know, I told him whatever, that Berlin might be a little overrated. On the other hand, a very nice party city. A lot of people like to go there and drink and destroy stuff. And but the rent is very cheap. Very cheap. And Prague, no, Prague is cheap too. In the long so that was my first uh, you know, time I met him. Nowadays, we see on a regular basis. He ended up in Berlin most of the time. I mean, he's in Berlin quite a lot. And he's, you know, he's a nice guy, you know, and uh, has some history under his belt. And, you know, I enjoy hanging with him, and there will be probably, probably some collaboration in the near future. I, I hope it will be nice. So, were you familiar with any of his music before you met him? To be honest, I was, but I'm kind of ignorant. So I'm saying, you know, if you work on your own stuff, you don't have time to so, so I, I wasn't, but. You know, um, from, well, since, since then, you've heard some of it, of course. That's correct. So how would you describe Andy's style? Hmm, let me say maybe chaotic new wave, is it? Um, in the early 80s, he had a lot of chart success on the indie charts in the UK. It never really transpired into any mainstream success. Why do you think that never happened for him? Um, it was not polished enough produced. It was a little rough, you know, no rough edges. Um, yeah, it was, uh, the production wasn't really all that shiny and reverby. It was just, uh, you know, very garagey. Now, how would you say his music compares to people who came out at the same time that he did in the 80s? Yeah, at the time, at the time. Um, it's a hush, hush. I mean, there's a hush sound to it. You know? A hush sound like a lot of lyrics all of a sudden, out of nowhere. You know, like anti kind of uh, climatic uh, arrangements. So it's all about that. So, um, I mean, I, my personally, I listened to this early '80s stuff in Germany. So we were like in Germany, very fixed on German artists like DAF, you know, or like Neubauten. didn't take the UK in that case so serious we were very fixed on the German language there was the time when like, German language became a big thing to do again So then we um, we interviewed Kevin Matthews, who was playing drums with Andy still at the time. He joined in like 84, 85 after Raimondo was out. And Kev played almost the whole time between 85 and up to like five years ago. There was a point there in the late 80s, early 90s when um, he wasn't with the band. Um, this guy Mackie played drums with him. And then there was um, oh, this other guy. He did the U.S. tour '92. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he ended up. He played with um. I think he played uh, Heather Nova a couple years later. But oh, what's his name? Something Thompson, I think. But he's since passed away. But um, Kevin is super friendly. He's a good dude. Yeah. Um, um, I still message him. I, 
What was that? His memory is really sharp. Yeah. I mean, well... I, I was surprised what he... Like, the detail he remembered. Well, remember we were at his flat and he had all the um, the scrapbooks of all the old flyers and backstage passes stuff. He was like the band historian for a long time. And he was with the band up until a few years ago when... You know, they did the three-fourths reunion of the original lineup, which apparently, mm-hmm. apparently it was his idea. He told, oh, yeah? Apparently he told Andy, because they were because they, they started hanging out with Terry McClay again, and Terry was still friends with Rob, I think. And so Kev was like, told Andy, he was like, you guys should get, like, the original guys back together, you know? And he didn't mind stepping oh, aside. Cool. So, yeah, but then, you know, then Terry left a couple yeah. of years or two ago, and it's just Andy and Rob and a couple other guys. New guys. Kev still has the um, other band with um, Matthew James Saul, the Unstoppable Achievers. They just did a show a couple weeks ago. Really? Yeah, I was surprised. I didn't know this guy still did anything, but they do. And um, But I'm jumping ahead talking about Matthew. We'll get to him in a second. But Kev was super nice, and we had another um, tech issue with him when we were recording. Yeah. The um, mini disc, about, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes in the interview went, I'm going to turn off right now and not let you know. So we kept on asking questions, and finally you look down, and you're like, oh, shit, the mini disc stopped. So, yeah. so this interview on the podcast, it's what we could salvage before it turned off. So. First met Andy in probably about 1982, 1982, 83. Um, I'd uh, seen him at gigs that he was at, and I'd sort of spoken to him and seen the very sort of early Sex Gang shows. Um, and yeah, it's probably about 82 I probably first met him. Um, yeah, just saw him about, saw him at gigs, saw him at the Zigzag and places like this. and. And started going to see the group, and thought they were pretty exciting and pretty cool. When did you start playing? I joined in '84. Well, I've been pestering probably for about a year and a half. Um, when they originally lost Rob, um, I managed to get a phone number for their management company at the time, and I phoned the manager and said, "You got to give me the job." Um, you know, I, I just felt it should have been my job at that point. Then I got Ray in. Um, and again, they, I heard they were losing Ray, and then Nig- Nigel Preston stepped in and did um, some stuff, uh, did the Marisha Mayer single, and I don't know if he gigged or not at the time, you'd have to ask Andy that. And um, then when Nigel went to join uh, the cult, at that time then they had a big round of auditions at that time, this was about probably 18 months later from like my initial sort of banging on the door, if you like, saying, oh, I want to be in the group. Um, so they... Um, they did a round of auditions at that time. I think they auditioned uh, 400 bassists and 400 drummers. And, and like I said, I mean, I'd met Andy a few times out and about at that point, and uh, I just sort of said, you know, this, this should be my job, really. I, I fundamentally understand this. And I'm just being filmed. Oh, I'm just doing an interview. Oh, you just walked straight across it. I didn't realise. <laughs> That's all right. I'm sure, I'm sure your butt will look very nice. Anyway, uh, yes, so um, yes, we did the auditions at that point, and um, when we did the final, they boiled it down to, I think, they actually auditioned, sort of in the flesh, if you like, eight drummers, eight bassists, and um, I was on the tube going up to Camden to do the audition, 
and um, I actually met one of the bass players on there. I mean, he was sitting there with his big hair and all that, and I sort of sidewalks. He's like, "Oh, you're going for the Sex Gang audition?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah." So um, I knew quite a lot of the material anyway, and he was a really good bass player, and uh, we ended up both joining. That was uh, Cam Campbell. So um, that was for the '84 stuff. So then we we did um, sort of tours around that time. Then went on and did the Blind album, and went on from there. My sort of uh, my uh, Downward slide has been a sort of dates back to then, unfortunately. So. No, it's great. I, I love doing it. Obviously, I wouldn't still be around if I didn't. So, I mean, the only album that I had no real input on was Arco Valley, really. I did, uh, and oh, some of the American stuff as well, I suppose. But other than that, I'm pop up in some shape or form in just about everything. What is it about the music you think appeals to people? Um, what appeals about sex games music? Well, I can tell you what appeals appeals. To me about it, which I don't know, I don't know how other people think. Um, I just think it's always been an exciting thing to be involved in because musically it's always been quite quite daring. I think um, we we I don't think we particularly sound like anybody, and the way we work is is very unique to this particular band, and um, it's just really nice because I feel you know when I'm working with Andy and when we're sort of concentrating and putting stuff together. Um, it's almost like being a kid in a sweet shop because, you know, our, our, we're both similar in the fact that we feel that um, all ideas are valid. You know, we haven't got a particularly um, a set idea of what music should be, or we've just got an idea of what we hope music can be, and we try to reach that. Um, so it's, I always find it's quite exciting, and uh, you know, I quite often come up with little ideas and sort of say, "I've got this idea for blah blah blah," and they'll go, "What?" You know. And so I'll come in and play a little bass part and they go, fuck, that's great. Or, you know, I'll do a bit of whistling or something. And they'll go, Jesus, that's excellent, you know. I'll say, no, just let me run with it. Um, so over the years, you know, we've developed a quite a good working relationship. Um, he sort of trusts me these days that I've sort of earned through the years. So I've done all kinds of things on records and sort of. <laughs> but um, that's, that's why I enjoy it anyway. I just always find it exciting and challenging. And, and it's like, you know, the shutters are just up, you know, there's. Uh, there's no sort of preconceptions, and it's like all ideas are valid. We just throw the lot into the mix, and uh, I think it's, um, it's it's proved to be um, a, a good way of working. Or well, seems to work for us anyway. How do you think you could have done that um, if you hadn't come about in the early '80s when you had? Um, I suppose obviously the trust has developed over a number of years. Um, if he'd maybe only known me a couple of years and I said, well, I've got an idea, he might kind of think, oh, well, you know. But now, now he's known me for such a long time and we're so, you know, in tune musically and sort of artistically and the sort of things we tend to like and go for tend to be very similar. Um, he might not quite get what I'm sort of trying to put across, but he'll sort of go, oh, okay, we'll give the boy 15 minutes, give him some rope and see how high he hangs himself, you know. Yeah, I mean, on that, I mean, on that particular sort of what we were, um, talking about on that occasion was just a, a minor detail because we'd actually been playing the start of a, a, the intro for that particular song. Um, the way we'd now revert to playing it is basically as for the recorded version, but we'd been letting it just boil uh, a little bit longer, if you like, for um, to build up that sort of drama. But Andy was like, no, I want it cut back to how it was and it should be snappier. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, um, it's on, on sort of occasions like that. I mean, obviously, Andy has final say, you know. Uh, mine, you know, very much sort of number two, but my ideas I listen to and we'll debate them. And, and if, if, you know, finally he says, no, I think it should be like this, then we go, okay, man, no worries. But um, I, I don't mind. I mean, I'll have, 
I'm never short of ideas, so I'm, I'm not particularly fighting for my ideas to get in because enough of them make the cut anyway. So I feel that um, you know I have a, a, a good input, and you know, sort of artistically, I, I'm oh, it sounds so like poncy, doesn't it? Um, you know, but. Um, Ultimately, you've got to be sort of artistically free to express yourself and do those things. Otherwise, there's no point in doing it. So, um, and I, I certainly get enough freedom. But predominantly, obviously, I'm the drummer. So, but I come up with a lot of other ideas as well, you know, arrangement-wise and for other instruments or whatever. So, I generally get a fair crack of the whip, so, as it were. So, what do you think about this? This year will be the 20th anniversary of Sex yeah. and Children. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Who'd have thought it? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's been very interesting sort of going out over the last couple of years and, and uh, playing to different crowds, going over to Germany, going over to Italy. Um, I mean, the last year or so, we've really been tied up on the record we're just about finishing now. Um, but so we've been going out and doing like little one-offs festivals, just little bits and bobs. Um, and it's, I don't know if it's surprising, but it's like even now sort of people come up to me and they all know more about the group than we do. They go, oh yeah, back in 87 you did the blah, 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 blah. And you'll be like, no, we were asleep that day. And there seems to be um, a real sort of devoted and very knowledgeable uh, group of people out there in various sort of places who seem very up on what we're doing. They kind of go, oh yeah, but you did that on then and stuff like that. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> I'll have to take your word for that. But that's really nice and it's good, you know, obviously if we you know, continuing to be valid as a group. I mean, one th I mean, me and Andy, well, Andy and I, to be more correct, uh, both very protective of the name Sex Gang Children and feel that it represents something special and strong and, and something exciting. And, um, you know, if it wasn't like that anymore and we didn't feel that, then we wouldn't call it Sex Gang Children or sex gang, or it wouldn't be in, in any way um, associated with things like that. You know, it's a very special thing that we're both very, very, uh, you know, it's our baby, you know. And, you know, I've earned the right to call it sort of partly mine as well. You know, I've been, I've been around long enough, you know. As the same, you know, I mean, Budgie didn't join the Banshees until the third album. So, you know, but I mean, no one would sort of uh, say that Budgie wasn't like an integral part of the Banshees and the Banshees sound and what they became. Um, I suppose, you know, the sort of similar kind of thing applies here, you know. So how would you describe Andy? As a, oh, uh, <laughs> how much, how much uh, time have you got on that? The next interview on here, you weren't here for. I, I did it on my own. It was with um, guitarist Mark Gemini Thwaite, who... While not technically a member of Sex Gang, he almost was because he was playing with um, he was playing uh, former Sex Gang bassist Dave Roberts at the time in a band called The Children, and he got an offer to um, join Spear of Destiny, and then later he joined The Mission for a number of years, and he's played with Tricky and Gary Newman and Peter Murphy. He's played with a lot of people, and um, it was cool because after I did this interview with him, it was he was on tour with Peter Murphy at the time. And they played at uh, the Chameleon Club in Lancaster. And Mark put me on the guest list because he was like, I don't know anyone around here. And you had already bought tickets. Because I remember I called you and I was, yeah. like, I was like, on the guest list for Peter Murphy. You're like, you're like, I bought tickets. But that was a really good tour. I think that was the, um, what was that, the Secret Covers tour or something like that where he did a bunch of cover songs. I think that was the tour. And then Mark put me on a couple other guest lists for other Peter Murphy shows, which was cool. But um, 
it was because of this interview with I did with Mark is that it got him I put him and Andy back in touch with each other after not talking for a bunch of years and oh, sent cool. yeah, they not talking for any reason or just lost touch they just lost touch for like oh. from like I guess it was the early 90s up until like 2010 2011 but you know since I got him back in touch Mark's done remixes for Andy and Andy sang on one of Mark's albums so that was cool and this is another in, this is another interview where the mini discs started to crap out it's a it's like it's like a theme here like the last few interviews we've talked about on here the mini disc went eh whatever people listening to this are like why didn't you just replace it it's like because there was no money to replace anything. You had to... The, the, the equipment... Still poor. Um, like the, inter, the, the equipment we had, we just had to cross our fingers and go, I hope this shit works. Now, what we're going to be talking about is a long, long time ago. I was, I was 12 years old at the time, so it's hard to remember. <laughs> okay. First question. When did you first hear of Sex Gang Children? Oh, blimey. Uh, yeah, when did I first hear Sex Gang Children? Um, I'm originally from Birmingham, UK. So, yeah, it would have been when I was living in Birmingham, you know, probably maybe 18 years old, you know. Um, but didn't really, they didn't really um, pick up, I didn't really pick them up really on my radar till I moved to London. And, um, after a few months of uh, living in London, I uh, uh, saw a, a um, advertisement in uh, Melody Maker for uh, yeah, like X name band seat guitarist or something, and I and I rang him up and went down and had a jam, and it was uh, Dave Roberts from Sex Gang Children who was forming you know, a new offshoot band called The Children. You know, I'm sure that the name was deliberate, and. Uh, and because of that, I actually did, you know, sort of make an effort to go and check out, you know, the Sex Gang uh, Children uh, back catalogue. And that was probably around, that was around 1988, so it was kind of after, after the fact, obviously, you know, that's when I really checked them out. So, okay, that's how you met Dave Roberts, so mm. when did you meet Andy? Uh, I met Andy probably um, around, probably within a year or so of, joining the children um, I uh, was introduced to him I remember going to his house in uh, Brixton and hanging out and I, I later I do vaguely recall being offered you know a US tour on guitar uh, to go out with sex gang children in the USA and at the time I'd just joined Spirit of Destiny uh, with Kirk Brandon and uh, yeah, they, they were kind of gearing up, recording new stuff and doing some shows. And for whatever reason, I I decided to decline the Sex Gang Children tour, even though I liked the idea of playing with those guys. Um, uh, for whatever reason, I just decided not to do it. Um, and it's funny because I just we just played at Wave Gothic Treffen with Peter Murphy like a month ago, and uh, I ran into. Uh, Spirit of Destiny, I ran into Kirk Brandon, who ironically had uh, uh, Craig Adams playing bass for him, who is the original Mission bass player of my other band. 
So that was seven degrees. And the guitarist in Spirit Destiny played in Sex Game Children. And he told me, he goes, yeah, he goes, I remember there was an American tour that he couldn't do and, and that they were looking for a guitarist. So ironically, you know, uh, yeah, I'd almost done that, but didn't. So there you go. Um, the children, I don't know, we, we, we record, yeah, we did some gigs and we recorded a 12 inch uh, EP. Um, I co wrote a couple of the songs on that EP. In fact, the lead track, uh, Never Get Out Alive, was pretty much my music and Dave's lyrics and uh, one of the B sides, uh, I think it was Broken Wing, that was again my music. Um, but anyway, um, I think um, for whatever reason, I just I just decided to uh, you know to kind of go with Spirit of Destiny because they were like you know getting a tour together and recording a new album, and uh, you know I was a fan and uh, I wasn't sure if Dave was really cutting it as like a front man and a singer, you know. So I had kind of my issues there. So from a personal point of view, I just decided to give Spear of Destiny a go uh, because they were just doing more and touring and recording a new album and um, I didn't really ever find out what, what caused the eventual demise of the children you know I, I don't suppose I don't think my leaving caused the demise of that band you know um, but for various reasons maybe they just weren't getting it together because it's, it's like starting a new band you know and I just got the feeling it wasn't quite coming together you know so you know, I moved on. So. Okay, you covered asking, being asked to join Sex Gang. So, do you think Sex Gang's music stood out from the other bands from the early 80s positive punk goth scene? Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a sense of, uh, yeah, Andy's got this great voice, the music, uh, very great sense of drama, you know, melding not just sort of gothic and post-punk stuff but this is a it's it's quite unique I can't think of another band that sounded exactly like Sex Gang Children at the time you know so yeah I think they definitely stood out yeah in a way they're like one of the unsung you know bands from that era you know for whatever reason you know other bands have been more lauded such as Bauhaus and Joy uh, Division and, and all of those bands but I think Sex Gang Children is definitely up there you know it's one of the great bands from that era and last question even though they had early success in the UK indie charts, why do you think Sex Gang never broke through the next level and stayed a cult act? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's just um, um, some of the other bands that did kind of break through perhaps had songs that were more you know, radio friendly. You know, uh, Sex Gang just had their own thing going on, Andy's particular sense of style and theatre. Um, I don't know, sometimes it's just you get the breaks and sometimes you don't and I think maybe Sex Gang didn't get the breaks but I do think in um, the long term they will be acknowledged as being one of the significant uh, alternative acts from that period of time, you know. Yeah, that's it for questions. Cool, alright. Okay. Are one of those guys in the children you? No. Okay. Uh, so I was wondering. Yeah, I'm trying to see if I recognise these. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, Dave in the middle. Um, 
that was the bass player. I totally forget his name now. Uh, but he, he must have. Let me think. Yeah, because we were a four-piece, so they're missing a guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, that wasn't. Say, say that's the bass player. His name escapes me. We're talking like twenty years ago, or whatever. But um, uh, he's either the drummer or whoever joined on guitar. So okay. yeah, so because we were a four-piece, so yeah, no, that's not okay. me. But I do have pictures of me with the children. Uh, although unfortunately, I um, I moved from England to you know to LA, yeah. and I put a lot of stuff in storage in the UK, like it's at my mom's place, and so I've got stuff like that, you know, pictures. But it's all yeah. you know physical printout. Yeah. yeah, I've got photo shoots, that kind of thing. Uh, I used to have blonde hair for a start. I had long <laughs> long blonde hair, mm, bleached. So uh, yeah, and also my fucking, I've got a few copies of the twelve inch that we did. And there's, yeah. a, there's pictures of us on that 12 inch, yeah. and uh, um, and also there was a 7 inch as well with Demon Blues on it, and somebody else was on it, I can't remember. Because I know Andy uh, was telling me when he moved to LA in the early 90s, he had a whole bunch of storage back in, on it, a lot of it lost. It was like him, like the cassettes, him and Mick Ronson in his flat. Really? Songs, yeah, yeah. Lost. Yeah, I've got stuff, I mean, it's safe, it's at my mum's, yeah. but you know, I rarely, I rarely get back to England and. And even if I do get back to England, it's usually on tour. Yeah. Like I'll be back in England to tour with Peter Murphy in September, October, and but then I got I'd have to make a trip to my mom's and then go into her yeah. into her loft and kind of <laughs> go through yeah you know, her attic and then go through stuff and find it, you know. Um, so uh, what well, I've I've been finding like holes in my. Because like after I heard from you, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, the children. And I went looking through all <laughs> all of my collection. The next interview up is um, with author Martin Miller. He was the first person we interviewed for the um, documentary. Yeah. Martin. Has, I, 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 Martin's great. I, I love Martin. He, yeah. I mean, cool. he can tell a story, which is he better since he's an author. But yeah, yeah. He's written. Um, he's written uh, "Lonely Werewolf Girl," um, "Susie Led Zeppelin and Me." And he's written a bunch of sci-fi novels. I think the series is called like Thraxis or something. I can't remember the series. But yeah, but you know, Martin was there with Andy when they were squatters, so he's got the early days stories. And yeah. Martin was great. They both share that kind of um, worldview that's like a fairness and equality and kind of. I wouldn't call it anti-materialism, but. Yeah, that kind of it's, sense of like it's definitely anti-capitalism. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I would call it. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you we, know, they, they both kind of show that. And we know Andy is a fan of communism, so or at least he, oh, yeah, he was. That's right. Yeah, yeah. His band's not bad. He's um, two guitarists, keyboardist, drummer. Because I was, you know, thinking about, you know, going to that. But we, we always think about going to stuff and never doing anything. Yeah, well, indeed, uh, that's a common symptom, isn't it? But uh, uh, somebody just asked me and I went with them, so it was good. Yeah, do you want me to kind of like, do you want me to be expansive and then cut it, or do you want me to be brief? You can be expansive if you want, and just cut it. Okay. <laughs> 
When did you first meet Andy? Uh, I was trying to think uh, exactly the year I met Andy. I think it was 1978. It was certainly the end of the 70s, so 1978. Um, still punk rock times. And how did you meet him? Yeah, I moved into a squat in Battersea, uh, part of South London. And in those days, squatting was it was quite organised in places. So there was a squatters group, the Battersea Squatters Association, who had meetings every week. So I, I met Andy there. He was already squatting in the house. There was a couple of street, streets that were squatted. And we met then. And there was... We were both young punk rockers, so we'd go to pubs together and local gigs and stuff like that, which I think was before Andy played guitar. I think he was just learning to play guitar then. When, did, when was it you first found out that Andy was into music and wanted to pursue that? Um, was it around the same time? Or? Yes. I mean, as for being into music, everybody was everybody in that scene was, was into music, so everybody would be going to gigs and stuff. But I think Andy was learning guitar then. Um, uh, but there again, that was something quite a lot of people were doing as well. I, I, I was learning guitar and me and various other people maybe played a bit in bands uh, without really pursuing it much, uh, not being so determined like Andy. Because um, as far as I remember, it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't take him too long, a couple of years before he, after Battersea, people, uh, when these squats eventually all got evicted, Incidentally, Andy was quite a militant squatter. Um, I just mentioned that first. There was lots of defences of houses from bailiffs and stuff, which involved boarding up the houses and trying to resist the evictions in a kind of political movement. Uh, Andy was pretty militant at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd tend to run away from the police or the bailiffs before before Andy would. So uh, uh, it just seems to me like a, a year or two after that when he had his first single out. Um, I don't exactly know how he managed that, um, but I'm guessing that was maybe 79 or 80. Did you ever go to any of the early Sex Gang shows? Uh, yes, yep. What, what were those like? Um, I don't know if this is the earliest memory, but best memory from my early shows when the band ground to a halt uh, where, when one of the one of the guitars forgot his boot and I think that was his link actually so when he couldn't do that all the rest of the musicians kind of looked on in confusion and it ground to a halt and in fact that that was a that was a gig at a time when there was other bands there on a, um, one of my favorite Andy memories but that's been a bit unfair <laughs> a bit unfair to him because he did a, a lot of better gigs as well well, when he started doing gigs, he started off as Panic Button, and I don't honestly remember any Panic Button gigs. If there were any around, I would have been to them, but I, I can't dredge up a memory of that. But I remember seeing them play very early when he was Sex Gang Children. It used to be... This is still sort of in the post-punk fallout, which went on for quite a few years afterwards, you know, 79, 80, 81, or... Um, in these years, there was still a lot of gigs in London where they'd have a lot of people on the bill, you know, six or seven on the bill, and there was a kind of post-punk movement that Andy was uh, associated with, or kind of stroke started, 
a kind of post-positive punk thing. Uh, and he would play these with other bands, uh, kind of like UK DK and uh, various others that I can't remember. Um, and as far as I remember, pretty early in these, pretty early in these times, Andy was looking quite distinctive, and his audience were as well. The kind of gothy black thing arrived pretty quickly. Um, which I would give Andy quite a, quite a lot of credit for. Uh, I just wanna... No, um, um, carry on. I thought I had um. I just wanna know. Well, actually, just carrying carry on from that, I remember that Andy, after, after they became the Sex Gang Children, because Beasts, which I think was the first release, or, well, that was first release, but early release, that was a big indie hit, so it didn't really seem long didn't really take a long time from Andy just starting the band really to Andy being pretty successful so uh, and then he was uh, touring the country so he, he didn't really have all that uh, long a time to wait for he was getting attention and interviews and such like this, this year will be a 20th anniversary of Andy performing and recording as sex gang children right how do you what do you think about him actually <laughs> been doing that for 20 years well, Andy is extremely determined, indomitable, oh, all oh, right, I can't say that word, indomitable. I'm not surprised that he's kept it going for 20 years. Um, I don't think anything would stop him doing it. And uh, I really admire Andy. It's one reason we're friends, because he is determined. I'm also determined in my work. Uh, I don't give up, and Andy doesn't give up, uh, even if um, even if things aren't going well. So I admire Andy for that. Yeah, I've known a lot of musicians that have fallen by the wayside or not got on with stuff that they should have got on with. So uh, I, I admire him. And do you have any interesting little Andy stories you can share with us? Uh, well, a couple of things. A not exactly interesting stories. A couple of things that, a couple of things that maybe other people wouldn't know about Andy Sex Gang. Uh, he likes playing Risk. That's a board game where you try and take over the world. And I've played Risk with Andy for I guess twenty years. I used to once um, after we moved to Brixton. You know, the various the squatters and barters. He moved over there. Did very different places. But there was a while when I lived with Andy in Rushcroft Road. And we played Risk a lot there in the kitchen, in quite an intense manner, determined to take over the world and not wishing to lose. So Andy's, Andy's fond of that. Another reason I get on with Andy, another reason that we've uh, talked about for the past 20 years is his fondness for ancient Greece. Uh, uh, Andy, of course, is, um, I was going to say part Greek, I don't exactly know how much Greek, but um, his mother, his grandmother, I'm not sure. Anyway, some Greek. Andy's a big enthusiast for Greek history and he particularly likes Sparta. I'm a big enthusiast for Greek history, uh, but I particularly like Athens. So we argue about the Peloponnesian War in the 5th and 4th centuries BC. So we're still keeping that argument going. And um, Andy is very knowledgeable about Spartan tactics, uh, the city of Sparta, their battles and such like that. You know, He can tell you a lot about that if you ask him. And 
Nothing else springs to mind right at this moment. <laughs> um, but just feed me something else, because I feel like I'd maybe tell you one or two uh, other things that other people wouldn't know. Um, Has he, has he or you ever talked about um, anything that prompted you to write anything? Um, not, not exactly in such a manner, but because he's quite a notable person, uh, I've put a few Andy anecdotes in my books uh, once or twice. I wrote about some of the evictions in Battersea and uh, some of the barricading that we did on the house and defending the house and such like and um, in reality Andy was more Andy was more involved in that than me as I said he was um, quite militant and uh, I've mentioned I've mentioned an Andy gig on occasion in a book because uh, Andy's audiences have always been quite notable uh, very gothic often I remember being very struck at a gig in the underworld by the 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 audience, very dark clad, you know, dark makeup and such like. And I remember there was a woman in the audience in a full wedding outfit, wedding dress, white, complete trail, veil, everything. Fantastic get up for her. You Is know, that the the story you told at the veil launch. That's right. Yes, yes. It just it just always sticks in my mind so much because I'm a, a great member of the audience in her wedding dress. This this bright white thing in amongst there, in amongst all the goth. That was great. So I was I was struck by that to mention it, uh, to mention it in my writing. Can you tell us uh, anything about the Veil launch? The party for that. Yes, that was great. Kate organised that, and that was such a good launch. They had. Harry Krishna's coming in, um, full-on Harry Krishna outfits, wandering through, uh, chanting as they do, you know, Harry Krishna. There was some really quite, as well as the bands on stage, there was some quite e extreme performers. There was, um, I was reading and there was a performer doing some very strange stuff on stage just before I was due to go on. That's right, yes, yes. And he, before his act ended, I had to go back to the dressing room to get ready, just to get my book and stuff to, to go out and read. And he came into the, he came into the dressing room with the immortal line, I've, I've still got a Mars bar stuck up my ass. And, and then it was my turn to go on. <laughs> so, so I, I, I tried, I was treading over the stage a bit carefully, thinking, oh. <laughs> so that, so that was fun, and there were the bands on, and um, the woman with large snake, and really all sorts of things. That was such a good lodge. That was one of the best, uh, best, most enjoyable lodges I have ever been to. <laughs> have you ever been to any other lodge in his? Um. Yes, but nothing, nothing, nothing really sticks in my mind. Hmm. I've seen quite a lot of Andy gigs over the over the years, uh, and been to some launches, but nothing sticks into in my mind as that a uh, great event at Vale. It was it was so much fun, and I've seen um. I have seen Andy play quite a lot. On occasion. 
on occasion Andy's voice reminds me of Mark Bowen Andy's big big Mark Bowen fan I like Mark Bowen as well and um, you know Andy's got a load of old Mark and T-Rex stuff which is a good influence Andy has good influences he likes he likes stuff from that period um, he's a big Bowie fan as well You mentioned the audience were you know, dressed in black. And all that. Mm -hmm. uh, were they pre-existing, uh, already there, just looking for the music, or was that something that Andy did and then they emulated? Well, I, I kind of have the impression, I kind of have the impression that uh, Andy sort of originated that, but I'm not certain. I feel that some uh, music sociologist might say that these people were there already, but I, I don't really remember it before Andy. The, when the Sex Gang children. Um, started going on stage and Andy with his makeup and black clothes and stuff. These people seemed to appear then, as far as I could see. I certainly never saw them in any numbers anywhere else. Uh, before that, it had been punks with like, green hair and ripped clothes and such like. So it was kind of a new phenomenon to me. I think um, I think people would probably argue about exactly who invented goth, but I think Andy has a fair claim. What do you think it is about Andy's music that's, you know, kept him a fan base over the last 20 years? Uh, well, that's music sociology. I'm, I'm, not so, I'm not so good on that. Um, I don't know. There, there, uh, there is something about Andy and his music that does connect with a, a certain amount of people. I'm, I'm not certain. I can't really answer that. but. I'd have trouble answering that for any band really, it's, um, um, possibly people sense his, possibly people sense his commitment, uh, Andy certainly cares a lot, uh, I wonder if, I wonder if people sense that, yeah he connects to something but I, I can't quite, uh, quite put my finger on, on what that is. So if you had to sum up Andy, how would you do it? Very civilised. Uh, a man who always make you a, a proper cup of tea in a teapot, um, which is which is important, you know. Civilised and uh, uh, also an extremely loyal friend. Um, uh, the sort of person that, well, he wouldn't let you down on an arrangement and uh, wouldn't let you down for money or anything. Um, yeah, I've been friends with Andy for such a long time. I was wondering if I should say something negative about him, but nothing really negative well, comes to mind. Well, I told him I wanted to interview some people that knew him. He said he said he trusted his friends to say the right and wrong things about him. <laughs> yeah, Andy has he has told me a few scuttle with sex stories in his time, but but uh, I'm not going to relate them. But no. but I am aware of some scuttle with Andy sex stories. <laughs> <laughs> and possibly some scurrilous anti-sex stories that don't reflect too well on him, but but um, I'm, I'm, I won't relate them in public. <laughs> he was over here last night, mm -hmm. about three. Oh yeah, just talking away about stuff. I feel like putting the camera on. Yeah. What? What, Andy? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't do that to him. No. Uh, yeah, what was he telling you about? He was talking about Theatre of Hate when they first started. Yes. 
Um, yes, I remember that. Kirk Brandon used to used to live around uh, in Brixton. They also got quite big quite quickly. How did you think that Sex the Andy compared to the other bands that came out around the same time? Uh, it was it was better, I thought. Better than Theatre of Hate, better than UKDK, and the other names, which I'd be familiar with if somebody reminded me, but I've kind of forgotten them now. Uh, and he was better, better than that. He had, uh, he had quite a few good musicians played with him. You know, um, he tended to have good guitarists. I never I never knew his uh, band as well as I knew Andy, mm. so uh, personally. Um, well, Adrian, I uh, played with Adrian, and Adrian is a good musician, sort of long-time collaborator. But I thought Andy was better than these bands. Um, I think Andy's I think Andy's made a good, uh, a lot of good records, and there's uh, a lot of sort of interesting sidelines as well, like the Marianne Faithful covers. You know, it was this kind of interesting side project to do. For Vale, and I guess Andy's quite artistic in other ways as well. I helped him design the cover of Vale. Um, or rather, it was Andy's design, but Andy didn't know how to use a computer at the time, so he came round and uh, did it on, on my computer. It's not one of his strong points actually, computing skills, although he'll probably get there in the end. <laughs> but uh, you know, he's put a lot of his own artwork and such like uh, into his projects, so I guess he's pretty artistic in a lot of ways. Give you some of his um, paintings he did on the Shout and Scream but two Best Of album put out. Yes, yes. Some of his yeah, some of his artwork from his uh, time in America. Uh, although in the years that Andy, in the couple of years that Andy was in America, I wasn't in such close contact with him, and so I'm I'm not sure what was going on with him in that time. You got any other questions, Karen? Because I can't. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope you can condense some interesting things out of that. Good. Next interview was with um, Matthew James Saul, who was playing guitar with Sex Gang at the time. And he played with Andy for about, I guess, maybe 10 years or so, maybe a little more, on and off, playing guitar. He played bass a little bit when um, the band, when the three-fourths of the original lineup, lineup got back together, he played bass with them. Um, outside of, you know, the occasional um, Unstoppable Achievers show with Kev, I don't really know what Matthew's up to anymore, um, which is him. Uh, how did you first meet Andy? Um, I first met Andy um, sort of through Martin, the violin player, because um, he had already joined Sexy Gang. Um, I think he just joined him through an advert. And then he, Martin is friends with Carl, and I'm in a band with Carl. We have our own band. 
And so Martin brought Andy and Kevin and Adrian to come and see us, and he was looking for a new guitarist and bass player, and he liked what we were doing, so he asked us to join his band as well. Had you heard of uh, Succession Children prior Not, to this? No, I hadn't, no. So it's an entirely new experience? Yeah. Okay. So how did you feel... Um, well, when was the first gig you played with Succession Children? Uh, that was the Whitby Festival, the Whitby Festival. Uh, last year, yeah. How did you feel the audience received? Because then it was a lot of new members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was so how did the audience receive? You know, they seem to be fine with it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they seem to be really good. I mean, it went down really well, as far as I could tell. How was your uh, personal personal style, personal playing experience mm -hmm. uh, differ or is it similar? Uh, with when I play with my band or with right. Sex King, it's, it's not, it does, really doesn't, it's pretty much the same. I mean, kind of the reason that Andy got Carl and I in is because of the way we played. You know, he saw our band and liked what we were doing and he wanted to sort of get a, kind of a bit of that. So, yeah, I don't have to change my style or anything really. I mean, you have to adapt it a little bit to his songs and everything, obviously, but um, especially when you're playing up the, the old songs, because you, you know. But um, but with the new stuff that Carl and I sort of we wrote our parts anyway, so it's the way we would naturally play anyway. And uh, how would you describe the music that you're performing? With Um I don't know really. It's um, I really like it. I mean, like I so, said, I'd not heard of them beforehand, but um, as soon as we like when we met Andy and he gave us a couple of the CDs um, and we listened to it and it was like, wow, this is really good stuff. And, um, you know, really should have heard of this stuff before. And then he actually asked us to join and we were like, yeah, sure, absolutely. Now you were there from, uh, were you there from the beginning of the evolution of the new album, Bastard Art? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, uh, Andy just had like, it's like little home demos that he'd made of sort of the basic ideas of the songs. Um, and he gave copies of, it, of the tapes to um, Carl and I and sort of said, you know, come up with some, you know, your parts or whatever. And so we did that and then played them to Andy and said, you know, is, is this good? Is that what you want? Is this kind of thing? And he'd say, yeah, that's good. Let's do that. And so it, so we had quite, uh, Carl and I had quite a lot of input um, on the new album. Um, I still haven't heard it yet, the proper actual finished thing. Um, well, I think he's only just finished mixing it or mastering it today. So hopefully we'll hear it very, very soon. What is it that you think is set that sets Andy's music apart from other bands that started, you know, in the same, yeah, in the same genre? Yeah. It's with a very individual sound, isn't it? And well, all the stuff that I've heard, I haven't actually heard a great deal because um, I've only heard like compilation CDs of Andy's stuff, really. Um, but it's very, I mean, he's got his very own style of of just write the style of songs he writes for, for a start, an awful lot of it is in um, sort of 3-4 and 6-8 times, so it's not like 4-4 four, four straight rock music like most of this sort of music is. And there's lots of just very strange song structures and, and then his voice and everything as well. So it's quite a, it's a very individual thing. Do you think that's why he's been able to have a 20 year career at it? Probably helps, yeah. And then the fact that just the way Andy is, <coughs> um, is he, you know, he has this, I suppose it's like an aura or whatever, and he's got this reputation and this um, sort of myth or whatever around him, you know, um, and his reputation precedes him, so, you know, he's, he's got that as well. And it all adds to the sort of sex gang children myth, the story or whatever, which is good. And, um, but yeah, it, 
yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's very individual and the music reflects him very well. His, his, you know, his personality comes through in the music a lot. So if you know the music, you've got a pretty good idea of what he's like as a person, I think. <laughs> okay, cool. Our last interview, bringing this four-part Andy Sessing series to an end, is with studio engineer Rob McClymont. He worked on the Bastard Art album for Sex Gang Children and Andy's um, Faithful Covers album, and I think he might have worked on Veil. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he worked on Veil too, so he did those three. He did. Yeah, he did Veil, Bastard Art, and Faithful Covers. Rob's, he's another super friendly guy. I don't know what happened to him. He shut down his studio. Yeah, I, know, I remember that because I remember I looked up the studio and it was like selling like. That look and where the building had the studio was selling like antique furniture or something. I don't know what happened with him. He was know. a good interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he um he made an appearance in um the second part of this series when we're talking to Andy inside the flat above the funeral home. Um, when Rob's getting ready to leave, he comes over and he says to Andy, he goes, he goes, you know, these two are cops, right? <laughs> and so. So it, it sounds like he, because his accent to American sounds like he's saying, "Oh, you know these these two are cocks, right?" Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's not that far off from the truth, but you know. No. But, well, we're definitely yeah. we're definitely not cops. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, I know when you're ready, Karen. Yeah. Okay. And if I decide I want to sit down, is that all right? What? Oh, okay. <laughs> just to be difficult. <laughs> All right, no, we just want to know about uh, you know the stuff that you worked on with Andy, you know the albums and uh, you know if you say anything about the albums. And the... Just about the process of yeah, making the process them, or of... what I thought yeah, about them, like or what, what, what was it like him? working with them? Yeah. Um, it was interesting. Um, he's somebody that's um, been around for a long time, and. Um, that showed him when he was in the studio. He was very definite about what he wanted, um, always, and um, which was a bit different for me because I work with a lot of young bands that aren't very experienced. So do you want me to look towards you or towards you? Oh, you don't care. Okay. Um, and so it was good. Um, I mean, going back to the first album, Veil, that was um, quite a grand affair in that he wanted to record everything, strings, a million guitar parts, and so on and so forth and had a big idea how it should sound and I think we kind of got that roughly it was um, we had we recorded it all onto tape so it had a nice sound um, and it was okay it was, it was a good album I thought it um, I was really disappointed when it came out that nobody bought it but <laughs> you know that's um, that's life isn't it really um, I thought I thought it was a good album I thought it had some good songs on um, I can come back to that and then when we recorded um faithful covers um, I really thought that he might break through and have a little bit of mainstream success because a lot of the songs there's a lot of people flying around with a bit of disposable income that knew those songs and and might buy them because they didn't know Andy Sex Gang but heard one of them and thought hey this is a good version of this and tune you know um, and I was pleased with the way that sounded I'd like to remix it because I don't like some of the mixes but um, it was dead push for time so we just bashed it out and um, again it didn't really um, 
it didn't really seem to have anyone behind it that wanted to push it in the right directions. You know, it needed somebody to say, oh, this person you haven't heard of maybe, but listen to this and, and do that. And um, so I had it in my head that maybe Andy could go um, mainstream in a small way, you know, um, which I thought would be good for his life because he could earn a bit more money have a bit of, um, you know, be able to have a few luxuries and, and sort of get a bit of a payoff for all the work he's done because he's, you know, he's been dedicated to his art for, for years and years now, really, for his thing. So, um, again, that was a bit of a disappointment. Um, and on to the new album, <laughs> which I don't even know the name of. Do you know the name? Bastard Art. Yeah, Bastard Art. Um, that's a strange one because he came to me um, with a load of demos he'd done and um, which he recorded at home on a, an 8-track, a digital 8-track Roland. And um, I, thought they sound, I thought some of the songs sounded great and I thought, hang on, he's definitely, some of these songs will appeal to more than his present fan base, you know, which I think is always what an artist is looking to do, really. I mean, why write a song and have a thousand people hear it if you can write it and have 10,000 people hear it, you know, it's, it's, it's not in a... Um, an artist's psyche, I think, to, um, to, to not feel a little bit of that. So um, he came to my studio really to do things like do vocals on it and try and um, chuck it all through a bit of analogue gear and make it sound a bit nicer. And, um, and I think we've done that. Um, we've um, we mixed some of the tracks by downloading everything off his um, Roland because he, he had the idea that because it was a, a, had 40 tracks on it, he could actually record 40 tracks that were meant to be sort of virtual tracks, but he recorded them all and um, recorded different parts on all the various tracks. We had to download them all to the computer, sync them up by eye, and then we mixed some like that, and some of them he'd mixed at home and we kind of added to, and what have you. Um, and um, I need to sit at home and listen to it, really. I've only just finished it tonight. So I don't, I don't know what it's going to be like. I think. Um, I think there's some brilliant songs on it, and um, I, I do believe that songs are what make great music, really. I don't give a fuck what the genre is, or particularly how it's produced. Even if it's recorded a bit ropely, it, it's still good if it's a good performance. And I just think that um, he's got some great songs, and he knows how to perform them, and um, hopefully a couple of people will pick up on um, this new thing, you know, and think, wow, that's good, you know. Again, it's down to sort of somebody promoting him and being a little bit behind it, and. You know, I, th I think it's been um, really encouraging meeting you two guys, really, because it's, um, I think I've always had this idea that of Andy's stereotypical fan, which we talked about the other night, and, um, and you two aren't like that. So, um, you know, that's, um, that's good, because it says to me, yeah, that it's, you know, his music's got a really wide appeal, and it's just a case of, you know, get, somebody getting behind him and saying, yeah, this, you know, this guy's good and, and what have you. Um, so that's the three albums really and um, I don't know I always think that maybe we, you know you, as the recording engineer you always think oh that could have been recorded maybe a bit different or a bit better or whatever and um, I really liked the um, the sound we got on um, Faithful Covers I thought it was really sounding like a mature Andy Sex Gang do you know what I mean That that it, it, and, and I, I would have liked in a way to hear some of the songs that he's wrote that have gone on Bastard Art be performed and recorded a little bit like that 
that's what I'd like to do. Um, and if I get rich quick or he does, then we'll we'll maybe do that really. But um, you know, what's there is um, is the songs, and you know, it's um, see what you think. How did you first meet Andy? Um, a friend, a mutual friend called Billy, who's a singer-songwriter um, I'd worked with, and um, said I've got a friend I want you to meet. Andy who was thinking about doing an album. That was Vale, and brought him around the studio. Um, and um, yeah, we got on. He's a very personable bloke, you know. I, I, as soon as I saw him, I thought, oh, he's very much a performer <laughs> type, um, which was cool. And um, yeah, so you know, he, um, and I think he, he didn't know me that well, so he, he, he was, you know, carried that through the album, and you know, it, it was it was good. And I've since sort of become um, a friend, really. I suppose it's um, I kind of. Feel the same as him politically and sociologically and all the rest of it, and you know he's, he's a good guy, isn't he? So, um, I think this year will be like the 20th anniversary of him performing a sex gang. Mm. What do you think has contributed to his appeal lasting 20 years in the fan base? Um, I think that if you listen to his music. Um, or his, his lyrics more than more than the music, really. If you, if you kind of like his lyrics, and if his lyrics make you feel a certain way, then I think that they're always going to make you feel that way because I think um, he, he's 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 got a certain um, edge that I think comes across in his lyrics, and I think that appeals to um, to some people a hell of a lot. And um, I think that you know they they kind of will buy his next record in the same way that if you bought a Bob Dylan record in 1959 you're still going to buy a Bob Dylan record in 1998 or whatever you know it's um it, it, I think he's um I think I'd put him down I suppose I'd, I'd categorize him as like a cult artist you know he's like a cult sort of I don't know I always think it's a bit um art art house rock kind of if that's not that's terrible <laughs> that's terrible but you know what I mean? It's um and he doesn't smoke dope either, which is weird. <laughs> so But no, I mean I, I think that really. I think I think basically his lyrics, even if I listen to stuff years before I ever met him and um pick up on the songs and listen to him a couple of times, he had that same kind of sort of getting his point across and, and sort of ranting about the world through the medium of um, rock and roll as he's got now really and I think that I think some people kind of felt that and, and sort of stuck with him. When we did this 20 years ago we met a lot of really cool people. And I, I'd like to be in. I'd like to be in touch with more of them. I might reach out to some people, see if I can find them. Yeah. Maybe let some of them. Yeah, know. I gotta say, it was really cool of Andy to kind of set it up for us. Yeah. You know? Make these people available. And, 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 right. Like uh, arrange all of this, and also be cool enough to trust all of them to say whatever they're gonna say. You he, know what I mean? Yeah. He said, um, like, "What was it?" He said, um, "I trust all of them to say the right and wrong things." 
you know, and, and that's a difficult thing to do, actually. Yeah. So, you know, I've got to give him some credit for that. Well, you know, it's Andy's also said it's um not for him to say stuff about himself. It's for others to say about him. Right. You know. But it was, it was, I mean, even though it didn't lead to anything great for us, it's cool. I mean, I can't believe it's been 20 years, though, but. I know. Um, I know. But it's cool. And, you know, when I found all these interview tapes and discs and um, tote in the closet, I was like, I got to use these for something because I was listening to them. And I was mm-hmm. like, and I realized a lot of the audio ha- wasn't in the documentary. So I was like. Yeah, you can quite a bit out, you know, I. Anybody who's listening to this has to understand, Vince edited everything, all the audio, all the video, and put the movie together. I didn't really do anything after we came back from England. I was, because I was really busy with another project. I don't want to hop what I was doing, you know, but I was really busy with another project. He did everything. It was funny, because when we first got back, with the interviews, I was like ready to. I'm ready to edit. But oh, I'm gonna say we did the um, on Ash and the Mark Thwaite videos way later after the initial cut, like years later. Because yeah. we started this in 2002, and I realized my computer at the time couldn't handle this type type of editing. Yeah. So I had to but wait. You did have a rough cut. So it, well, I I I, I, I got yeah. another computer and edited a rough cut. It was like two hours long. And then I cut that down to like ninety. Yeah. And then I. Was, and then you did a bunch of all these all these different versions. And then I remember at the time I was doing um, Enzo G Castellari's website. And if people yes. don't know who he is, he's an Italian movie director who did the original Inglorious Bastards. And so I was doing Enzo's website, and I sent him uh, the rough cut, the ch- him and his son to check out, and they gave me notes on it and. They were overall, you know, was really positive about it. So that was that's another cool thing that came out of it, you know, having Enzo Costellari say your movie's good. How mm-hmm. awesome's that? Cool. That's very cool. But you know, it took. But we, it was finally finished in 2010. So it took eight years, and it was finally finished. And then a few years after that, Andy wanted like a shorter version to play as like his opening act at a festival he was doing. So I cut it down further to like an hour, which the hour version I do I do like the, probably the most. Even though I had to lose like a half hour of interesting stuff, I think the hour uh, version was like more to the point. But if you think about it, I cut it down to an hour, but yet this podcast series is four episodes. So that just tells you how much interviews were cut out of that thing. But um, yeah. We're at the end of it here, and I just want to say, if you are interested in Andy and his band Sexang Children, check them out at sexangchildren.com, andysexang.com. Um, you can check out uh, sexangchildren.bandcamp.com. You can go to liberationlondon.bandcamp.com, where it has a lot of Andy solo stuff and his new project, um, Dada Dega. I think the album's called... Um, History of the Hanged, I think. Check that out. Um, you can check out me at bittersweetandtwistedrecords.com where I have links to the eBay store. You can buy some records. I got. I do have the CD, uh, First Press US, of um, Sex Gang Children's Medea on Cleopatra Records up right now. 
Um, and also on the, my website, you know, links to like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all that stuff. Um, be sure to check it out. Do you have anything to promote or whore out? I do, but I can't talk about it yet. <laughs> all right. When you do, you can't talk about it. Let me know and I will whore it on here. Okay. That'd be awesome. So, um, thanks for spending the last hour or so with me. Um, it, oh, was, it was, it was, it was cool to reminisce. Um, Maybe we'll get yeah, to make another I mean, movie. I, in a while. I know. Stupid COVID and being old and yeah. unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, hey, maybe we'll get to make another movie before we die. That would be cool, considering the last one I made went to pop. <laughs> yeah, and that other one I did, no one really watched. Yeah. Dustin Dash. I'm going to show you footage from it. Like, um, I think I have it up on YouTube. Like, it's, it's set to private, but I'll, like, send it to you. All right. <laughs> but, um, See how bad it is. I hope that everyone's listened to these hours of these interviews has really enjoyed it. And, you know, you'll go and go check out Andy. I mean, it, it, he's put out a lot of interesting music in the last 40 years. So I, I just want people to go out there and enjoy it. And enjoy it as much as we have, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's a talented guy. Yeah. So I, I have a hard time believing that if anybody listens to at least one album, there won't be one song they won't like. Yeah. There's going to be one song that they like. Yeah, I mean, and he has there's there's different phases of his career of different sounds. So you know, if you want something more abrasive, there's like early sex sound. If you want something more lush, there's the Veil album. You like something poppier, right. there's the Arco Valley album. He's got a he's got a couple instrumental albums out: Wrath of God and um, Last of England. Um, it's a lot of yeah. good stuff. So. Yeah, let's bring it. Let's bring this into an ending. Um, All right. Thanks. Nice talking to you again. <laughs> yeah, you too. All right. Take care, Kieran. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, bye, everybody. Bye.